Good morning, everyone. My name is Joe. I'll read the text for today. You can follow along on the screens behind, in front of me, or in the Bible app. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 39. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled, with, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses died, dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse the punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, and has profaned the blood by the covenant which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. Sorry. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach, forgive me, and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Yet a little while, and the coming will come, and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and preserve their souls. Word of God. Thanks, Joe. It's uh, quite the transition from Tara that appears to have been electrocuted <laughs> prior to coming up here <laughs> to Joe. It's kind of like nice and uh, steady. So um, we... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're continuing in the uh, in the series this morning uh, for the better. We're actually wrapping up and concluding the series uh, this morning. We'll begin a new series next week. Um, but we're uh, as we wrap up chapter ten. Uh, we've just read twenty verses, so it's a huge uh, chunk. But um, excited to move through it the best that we can. Uh, this morning's title is actually uh, "Better Possession." better possession. Um, and that means like a possession that you have, not like spitting pea soup in your head, spinning around possession. So a, a better thing you can have. Um, <clears throat> for those of you whose minds wander. <coughs> Sorry, I know that that's really loud. Hang on. Hmm. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to share with you a definition real quick and then uh, share a story with you in the the definition, I think, is important, and you'll understand why as we move on. Um, faithful, the definition of faithful is to be loyal, constant, and steadfast. Loyal, constant, and steadfast. That's the, the quick definition of faithful. Uh, when I was in uh, college, undergrad, I went to um, 
Valley Forge University, which is just outside of Philadelphia. Um, and I was home on break and needed to get back, and I didn't have uh, a vehicle at the time. And so uh, I had no way of getting back, with the exception of kind of leaning on friends uh, to maybe hitch a ride back to Pennsylvania. And so I kind of called around, and lo and behold, I had no ride back to school. And so I was then confronted with the reality of what in the world was I going to do. One of my friends had a great idea. They said, you can take the bus. And I was like, the bus? And they're like, yeah, you just take a bus. And I was like, I've never taken a bus somewhere far, uh, Greyhound or whatever. And so I looked into it, and lo and behold, it was like dirt cheap, like super cheap, like cheaper than what I would normally give my friends for gas money. And so I couldn't believe it. So I bought a ticket uh, to King of Prussia, which is just outside of um, Philadelphia and near Valley Forge, which is where I went to school. And so I was ecstatic. I thought, this is the best deal ever. I'm going to just drive, I'm going to not drive, <laughs> I'm going to ride the bus from now on, back and forth. It's dirt cheap. Um, now, if you've ever ridden a bus, you know what it is that I've done critically wrong. If you haven't, then uh, you're going to be in for an entertaining uh, awakenment, which is what I experienced. Awakenment? Not sure if that's a word. I'm just going to put a mint. Awakening. There you go. Meredith got it right, as per usual. Um, so in either case, we uh, <laughs> we jump into this uh, into this bus, and I'm getting cozy, and we get on 81 because I lived in the Syracuse area. We get on 81. We're headed south, and I'm like, I'm going to relax. And uh, I noticed that I, I had to set up someone picking me up down in King of Prussia. So I called um, a family member, and uh, and asked if they could pick me up, and they said, absolutely, I can pick you up, no problem. I said, well, are you sure? Because I don't want to be stranded down in King of Prussia or anything. No, 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 I'll be there. I guarantee it. You can always count on me. I'll be there, I promise. Okay. I'm at the bus station, and I'm thinking, it's weird that I'm going to get there so late uh, based on when I'm leaving. And I thought, well, maybe it's kind of like a plane where there's a layover, and it just doesn't tell you where there's a layover, but it's great. I'm going to get some schoolwork done. It'll be awesome. I'm just going to be somewhere between here and there, kind of in a layover. Um, so evidently, it's possible to buy a one-way, like, I don't even know what it's called, non-interruption? I don't know. <laughs> um, where you go directly, maybe. It's a direct one. Those are expensive. The inexpensive ones are the ones that stop at every cursed bus station between Syracuse, New York, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, which, by the way, there's 250,000 of them, <laughs> or at least that's the way it felt, because we were literally on 81 for about 20 minutes, and all of a sudden, the bus starts to get off, and I'm like, what's going on? What's wrong? Like, is something the matter? And everybody's like, oh, no, we're at the first stop, and people are getting stuff together. I was like, what do you mean the first stop? They get off, and we sit in this barren snow parking lot, and Two people get off, and one dude gets on, and we just sit there. I'm like, this is the layover? No. We start right up and on to the next stop. 20 minutes later, we get off 81. I'm like, oh, my dear God, what have I signed up for? And literally every 20 to 30 minutes between here and uh, Valley Forge, King of Prussia Mall, we got off somewhere and stopped and waited. It was the worst trip of my life. I was furious immediately furious. I get carsick easily. I was like, what have I done? And so I'm just thinking of all the people that told me it was a good idea. I'm literally picturing their deaths. Like 
I was so annoyed. And this person comes, gets on the bus. It's like the second or third stop. And they sit right next to me. And so I kind of sit up and look around. And this happens to me often. Like to the point where I actually videotape it and text it to Meredith and other people. Where I will be in a restaurant. I'll be in a cafe. It will be empty. Empty. One person will walk in and sit right next to me like they want a piggyback ride. I'm like, what are you doing? I was in a cafe, and, and now I'm getting distracted, but I, I was in a cafe. I have to tell the story because it's so absurd. I was in Oswego. I was in a cafe. The place is empty. A family comes in and sits their kids around me. Anyway, it was ridiculous. So anyway, this happens on this bus. This dude gets a, sits right next to me, and is like, so where are you from? I'm like, uh, I'm from uh, like Syracuse area. He's like, oh, I'm from Pottstown. I'm like, really? Cool. And so he just starts talking about everything and anything. And he's, not, he's asking, he's the type of person, and maybe you are this person and you're a blessing, um, <laughs> where you ask a question, but you don't wait for the person to answer because you don't actually really care. You just want a reason to talk. So you know that it's like polite to ask the question. So you're like, oh my gosh, so have you ever ridden a bus anyway? I know the first time I was on a bus. I'm like, what? I'm literally just, uh, you know, a position, a person to be spoken to. And so this person's talking and talking and talking. And finally, I've got nothing left to say because they've asked so many questions that they've not given me a chance to answer that I'm like evidently boring to them. And so at some point, it, the, the bus stops again. And this person's like, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm like, okay, let me get my book of things I don't give a rip about and write that down. And so like, they hop off of the bus. I didn't say that, by the way, but I thought it. And he goes off the bus, and I'm like, all right. And so then I realize he's not actually getting off the bus to go to the bathroom. I don't think. Maybe he did. I didn't follow him. But he came back on, and it was like a reason to sit with someone else. And so I literally see him sit with someone else, and then I hear all of a sudden as we start going, I'm from Pottstown. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then I just hear the same speech as we're going down the road. I was like, what could make this trip worse? That, Right? So literally, as I'm going down the road, I hear over and over again, I'm from Pottstown. And I blah, 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 blah. I'm like, please let Pottstown be the next exit. And so we're going along, going along. So as he's getting on one time, because he kept getting off and getting back on, he gets, he's walking by. I was like, hey, are you, are you getting off at, at Pottstown? Or like, where is Pottstown in comparison to Valley Forge? He's like, oh, no, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting off at uh, King of Prussia. I was like, oh, my gosh. All right. And so... This, this ride from Hades continues, and uh, I finally get down, and I'm just sick. I haven't gotten any work done. I couldn't sleep. It's loud. It's annoying. It was horrifying. I get to, to King of Prussia, and I just think, well, at least my family member is going to be there waiting. I'm going to get a ride. It's going to be fine. And so we get there. I sit down, and I don't see them in the bus station and so I'm like, no big deal. They're probably just waiting. I walk outside. I don't see anyone. There's snow. It's cold. I'm looking around. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. What an absolute jerk. And so I go over and I call this family member who will remain unnamed. You know who you are if you're listening to this podcast. And uh, so I call them and I'm like, hey, where are you? I've never not been where I said I would be. Where are you? And uh, so I'm sitting there, just a terrible trip. I go, I'm frustrated. I sit down in the seat. I've got all my bags and stuff. I sit down in the seat. And have you ever sat in those seats at the airport or in a bus station where they're like back to back? And I, I feel like they set those up just to be annoyed. 
because you're sitting there and then someone else sits and you're like, you're like, wow, we all have to move. And then they like bounce their leg and you're like, <laughs> I hate you. And, uh, and so I'm sitting there and it was that type of thing. This person just boom, sits down and they're bouncing their leg. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it can't get any worse. Like finally the world stopped moving and now it's not. And all of a sudden someone sits right behind me, like hits my head with their head. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And then I hear him, I'm from Pottstown. Oh my gosh. I literally, I grab myself, I turn around, I kick him in the back of the head. No, I didn't. <laughs> I'm just joking. It wasn't a guy. It was actually a girl. That's how I met Meredith. No, that's a lie too. Uh, it was a guy. In either case, I grabbed all my stuff and I just said, I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk. And so I go out into the blistering cold and I just start walking. And if you know that area at all, it is not a back road. It is a major highway, an intersection of major highways. And I'm just walking down the road with everything I own on my bag and I'm like on my back. And I'm like, I don't care. I hate this person. I hate everything. I hate Pottstown. <laughs> and I'm walking and snow's blowing. And all of a sudden, I don't know how far I got, a car pulls up and it's this family member. And I won't even look at them. <laughs> They're like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Get in, get in. I was like, have I ever not been where I said I would be? And they're like, no, 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 I'm really sorry. You know, and they go through this, all these reasons as to why it is that I could no longer count on them for the rest of my life. And, uh, and so I'm loading my stuff finally after we walk parallel because I was kind of like that defiant annoyance where I was like, no, I'm walking. At this point, I'm walking. It's like, just get in, just get in. So I get in. And the reason I share the story is because I want to ask you, why are we sometimes less than faithful? Why are we sometimes less than faithful. I thought this family member, I thought they were faithful. I thought I could count on them. I thought that they were going to be loyal and constant, that they would come through the way that they've come through in so many different things. And in the moment that I needed them in the midst of chaos and annoyance, they just weren't there. They proved not to be faithful. But why is it that sometimes we're less than faithful? This question is tough. The reason why it's tough is because it causes us to come to grips with a truth or a reality that we'd rather not admit. And that's that we are all sometimes less than faithful. Again, remember the definition I provided. We as humans are sometimes less than loyal, less than constant, less than steadfast. We're less than faithful. Why is that? I want to submit to you that we're sometimes less than faithful because our faithfulness is tied to our circumstances. Our faithfulness is tied to our circumstances. It's why when certain things don't work out the way that we promise them, we have a list of reasons why. Oh, no, 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 but this happened. Oh, but that happened. Oh, th this took place and it was beyond my control. And, and basically what we're articulating is the circumstances dictated me being less than faithful. It was a situation. It was a circumstances. Now, we all know in our lives that our circumstances change all the time, right? Circumstances are always changing. And so there's really a harsh truth to be found here. That which we value most is revealed by our capacity to remain faithful to that thing regardless of the circumstances. I'll say that again. That which we value most is revealed by our capacity to remain faithful to it, regardless of the circumstances. 
this probably conjures up a little bit of emotion. And the reason why is because as much as we are sometimes less than faithful, we are often confronted with the reality of others being less than faithful. And so we can think of moments that they let us down. In fact, you might be tempted to think of what or who has been valued more than you or someone that you love. You might be thinking through like, oh, so what you're telling me is that person loves or values this more than me or loves or values that more than this loved person, this friend of mine. The reality is it's, uh, it's actually way more simplistic than that. There's really only two options. There's only two options of things to be faithful to in this world. And so although you might be tempted to think that a person has been more faithful to another person or to their job or to money or to sports or to whatever it might be that seems to kind of encapsulate their intention and trump all the other obligations of their life, the reality is there are only two options when it comes to being faithful. You are faithful to God or you're faithful to an idol. That's it. You're faithful to God or you're faithful to an idol. And I think if you are not churched, if you're unchurched, if you're not exposed to the idea of idolatry, you might be thinking that I mean a physical little idol. And you're like, what? I don't worship little physical idols. I'm defining idol as someone or something that you've put in the place of God. So there are two options. There's God or there's something that we've put in the place of God. Maybe a person, maybe work, maybe sports, maybe schooling, maybe money. I don't know what it might be, but the option is God or an idol. More often than not, when we say the word faithful, we think of marriage. Like we think of the idea of being faithful as a person that's married. And so if you're married or if you're not married in the room, you can still follow the logic that I want to share with you as I use marriage as an example. If marriage is about being faithful to a person, that works, right? Until circumstances change. Now, all of a sudden, in the midst of circumstances being changed, what's actually valued what's truly valued, is revealed. And more often than not, it's actually the idol of self. What I want, what I need, what I deserve, right? I agreed to be faithful to another person, but right now, this is about me, my unmet needs and desires. It can get messy. In fact, sometimes people, well-meaning people, determine that they'll remain faithful to that person at the expense of self. So on one side, you say, okay, faithfulness means that I'm going to be faithful to this person until circumstances dictate that I'm no longer obligated to. On the other hand, you say, you know what? I'm going to remain faithful no matter what. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. Listen, my parents were married for 60 years until my father passed away or my mother passed away. I'm going to be faithful to this person. And so you conjure up faithfulness. You say, I'm going to be faithful to that person at the expense of self. That seems noble, right? It seems like what we might think the definition of marriage to be. But in fact, the moment in which 
you decide to elevate the needs of someone else over yourself, you put your spouse as an idol. It seems like lose-lose, right? Like, so on one hand, being faithful to my spouse means that I'm faithful to them until circumstances dictate otherwise, and then it's more about me and, and the idolatry of self, or it's I'm going to push self down, and as a result, I'm going to elevate them, and as I elevate them, I turn them into the idol of my life. It just seems like a lose-lose situation. And I want to tell you, it is. It's a lose-lose situation if marriage is about being faithful to another person. But what if marriage is not about being faithful to another person? What if that was never what marriage was actually intended to be? What if marriage is about two people making a covenant to be faithful to God together? You see, that's what the definition of biblical marriage is. People saying, I'm gonna, we're going to be faithful to God together that the two will become one. And in the midst of one, God will be the center of our lives no matter the circumstances. In fact, we will hold one another accountable. Whether we are rich or poor or in sickness or in health, God will be the center of our union. Before him, we'll make a covenant regardless of the circumstances. Now, I know that there's situations of abuse and there's situations and circumstances where Spouses have broken that marriage covenant. And in those moments, they've revealed their idols. You see, oftentimes our perception is skewed by the way that the world defines things. And so faithfulness becomes something that causes us to, to muster up the ability. Listen, if you're, if you're a real man, you'll remain faithful. If you're a real woman, you're going to remain faithful. So just try harder. But the circumstances just get more difficult sometimes. The truth is, we all have the capacity to be less than faithful. In fact, it's our awareness of that reality that causes us to question whether or not God is faithful. You see, we put things through our own grid. It's why we have difficulty believing that we can be forgiven because we often hold a grudge. So the idea that God would forgive is, is almost foreign on some level. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, you forgive, but like, I mean, you're still kind of angry, right? Like God doesn't really love me, right? Because I mean, I forgive people, but I still kind of remember. And God says he throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness, that they're as far as the east is from the west, that his capacity to forgive is something foreign to us. And his capacity to be faithful is actually beyond our capacity to be faithful. This concept is, is really nothing new, and it's even what the author of Hebrews is addressing in this section of Scripture. In verse 19, it starts by saying, Therefore, therefore, which means it's building off the logic that was established in the previous pericope or section of Scripture. And so, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, therefore, because of Christ's sacrifice once and for all, because our sins have been forgiven, that's what the previous text is about, therefore, listen, assurance provides confidence. When we're sure of something, 
We have confidence in it. That's not rocket science, right? If you're sure of something, you have confidence in it. And so the assurance of that which Christ has done actually provides us confidence. Verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He's faithful. We can be faithful because he is faithful. Our faithfulness must be connected to God. Otherwise, at best, it's our hardest tried efforts. We can't muster it up. Eventually, an idol will win. Eventually, the idol of self, the idol of comfort, the idol of whatever it might be, job, meaning, purpose, identity, if it's apart from God, we elevate something that is created to take the role of creator in our life. Something interesting happens in the text if you continue on. The author kind of shifts in verse 24 through 25, and it seems like they're almost out of place, and yet they're uniquely connected to the argument. It says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What the text is saying is that we gain assurance through community. Through community. That when we're left alone, we actually drift towards lies. And we need others to speak truth. We know assurance provides confidence. So if we gain assurance through community, then we gain confidence in the midst of community. Listen, we can't endure in isolation. You can't. There's an amazing show that I, I love to watch, um, and uh, it, has to, it has to do with people being isolated. I just blanked out on the name of the show. What is it? Alone. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. So I'm from Pottstown. Anyway, um, like, I want to be alone. Uh, so Alone is a great show. Our, our kids are kind of uh, addicted to it, too, um, because just this idea that these people are left completely alone. They have nothing but 10 items that they can select, and they're in complete isolation trying to survive for as long as they can. And ultimately, the, the winner that stays as long as they can, and they don't know when the other people are dropping out of the show, the person that stays the longest uh, is told by people, they show up and say, hey, you stayed longer than everybody else, you win. And they win half a million dollars. It's an amazing uh, story of perseverance and starvation and willpower and the idea that ultimately, isolation is more than what humanity can bear. People literally just coming unglued. Uh, emotions running high. They have their own little camera gear because literally they're entirely alone. There's not even a camera crew. And you just see them breaking down because we just were made to live in community. Even people that are complete introverts. I know there's people in the room that are like, I could do it. I could win 500,000. Drop me on an island today. Just take care of my kids. But can I just not see them? You know, like... Like, you're convinced you could do it, but here's the deal. The reality, the truth is that we were created to live in community. 
And at some point, we break. Even when we have enough food, even when we build a great shelter, and some of these people, they're super impressive, but at some point, they're like, this is nothing if I can't share it with my kids, if I can't share it with my spouse, to just hear someone else talking. In fact, some of them actually hear voices. No one's there. It's interesting. We think we can make it alone, but you can't endure in isolation. We were made to do life together. Even when it's difficult, even when it's messy, we literally stir one another up, the text says. And we see another shift in the text from verses 26 through 39. And the, the shift in the text from 26 through 39 is actually quite sobering. It's some of the more sobering texts that you'll find in the Bible. Verse 26 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. We go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> Hold on a second. One more time? You know, in the Greek, in the original text, deliberately is actually the beginning of the sentence. It's the first word of the sentence, and it's actually at the beginning in order to emphasize that we're not to remain willingly, deliberately in sin. This does not mean what I thought it meant when I was growing up. As I was growing up, I thought it meant quite literally that if we did that which we knew was wrong, that God literally removed us from relationship and that uh, my salvation and my relationship with him was like this thin line that was just like cut at a moment's notice until I realized that I could make my dad pretty angry <laughs> and do the same thing in direct disobedience and realize that he still extended love and grace to me. I didn't go from being his son to not being his son to being his son to not being his son. However, I did have the capacity to say, you're no longer my father and walk out. How is it that we get to the place where we decide we no longer want to receive the grace that God extends to us. When we remain in sin, we are literally rejecting the gospel. We're saying this, I worship self. I do what my flesh wants. I want this, so I'm going to do it. Oh, it's sinful, it's destructive. There'll be emotional consequences, there'll be relational consequences, there'll be implications that lead into more dark places. But you know what? It's what I want. I'm going to worship myself. I'm going to be less than faithful to God. It says receiving the knowledge of the truth. What this means quite literally is that you know better. There's some people in the room, and I know that there's a wide gamut of people in this place this morning. There's people that are skeptics and maybe are not aware of the truth, all the way up to people that function and are convicted and maybe even rocked and somewhat fearful by the idea of what this text is saying because we are in full knowledge of the truth. 
You know the gospel, but you're willing to settle for the created over the creator. You're willingly walking into sin, and it it fractures you. And there's consequences for that. Not like consequences like angry God, consequences like common sense. You touch hot, it burns you. You fall off of a cliff, gravity makes you fall. We have to think, like I shared a couple weeks ago, there are consequences to the decisions we make in our life. We don't like to think of consequences in the world of the spiritual decisions we make. We want to think that it's somehow isolated or insulated and that we make decisions in a bubble. But it's far more sobering of a reality than that. There are consequences for the decisions we make. In verse 27, it says, But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. What it means is that if we choose to remain in sin, we're saying this, I reject Jesus' sacrifice for my sin, and in doing so, I will take the wrath of God towards the sinful decisions I make. Some of you are like, wait, 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 if we say it like that, I take back, take back, redo, what? I never said that, I just said like maybe I'm not too concerned about this, just like a decision. We like to minimize the decisions of our lives, but the reality is there are ramifications. And this isn't to, to somehow scare you into being a Christian. Like, hey, you don't want to burn in hell. You better be faithful. Pull up the bat. Uh, <laughs> uh, the bootstraps, or if you want to put those together and say bat straps, you can say that too. But pull up the bootstraps. Try as hard as you can, right? That's what our culture says about marriage. That's why it's a perfect example, right? Be faithful. Be faithful. But, but, I want, but, be faithful. All right, I'll pretend to be faithful. I'll go through the motions of faithfulness. I'll be present in my marriage to the degree in which I can stand it. I'll go through the motions of Christianity. I'll look like a Christian. I'll be faithful to the point in which I can stand it. Both are tremendous lies. They're lies, and it's, it's the nature of what's being addressed here. Is like, do you realize what is actually on the line, the decisions that are being made? I got to tell you, sin is not a popular thing to preach about like, because we don't like it on a lot of levels. It's disruptive because when left to our own selves, we are sinful and depraved people that want to do what we want to do. And so the idea that maybe we would restrain self, that we would make decisions that, that seem counterintuitive to our flesh, it's, it's not popular. The reality is We say, I'm going to do it my way. We're saying, and I'll take the consequences for that. That's what we're doing. Hey, God, I don't need your sacrifice. Because the reality is that Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice to the earth. He lived the sinless life that we can. And he took the consequences of your sin. And when we say, we got this, we're saying, I will drink from the cup of wrath that Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, is there any way this cup can pass? 
He's talking about the cup of wrath. The wrath of God towards the sin of our lives. And we're literally saying in these moments, listen, because of what I want, I'll, I'll do that. I got it. I got this thing figured out. It's sobering. Verses 28 through 31 say, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. We're going to get to that. It seems a little cryptic, but it'll make sense. Verse 29, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. Joe got a little choked up when he was reading it, and it makes perfect sense as to why. The reality that we would say, I got this. I'm going to do whatever the crud I want. Literally trampling underfoot the Son of God and profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. You know, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. So the cross-reference of this text is actually connected to the unpardonable sin, they call it, right? The unpardonable sin is really the idea that you would say to the Holy Spirit, I will not be convicted by the sin of my life. The reason why it's unpardonable isn't because there's a sin that's mysterious that's unpardonable. It's because in saying, Holy Spirit, I no longer want you to convict me of the sin of my life. What you're saying is, I no longer need the sacrifice that Jesus provided for me. I no longer care about what the Son of God has done. I profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. I got this. I'll drink from the cup of wrath. I'm going to do whatever I want because my flesh wants it. I'm the God of my own life. It's not a mysterious sin. It's an outright rebellion against God himself to say I'm no longer your child. For we know him who said vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. If that's the way you're going to function, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. We need to understand the grace that has been extended to us. Otherwise, we will manipulate or attempt to manipulate the grace extended. We cheapen, literally, the grace of God. We cheapen the cross. We say, I got it. I hope this wrecks you on a level that I'm not even aware of. Because we need to be wrecked by this. Otherwise, like gerbils on a wheel, we just go through the limits of life and, oh, life is good. Oh my gosh, some food fell in my cage. I'm going to drink a little bit. Oh, it's so fun. Oh my gosh, I had some kids. Let's all jump in the cage again and go on the wheel. We just get lulled to sleep. The first portion of this, that says anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, you're like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to set aside the law of Moses. The law of Moses is a reference to the Ten Commandments. And so anyone who has set aside the Ten Commandments, and you might be like, oh no, what are they? I'm sure I've done them wrong. I violated the Ten Commandments. Here's the thing that's interesting about the Ten Commandments. You really only have to remember one. The first one. You should have no other gods before me. Because you cannot violate any of the other remaining nine commandments without violating the first. 
That's the brilliance of the Ten Commandments. Is the first one is saying, have no idols. Worship nothing but me. If you worship nothing but God, then the other nine don't really matter because you'll never fall out of line because God is the God of your life. And he will influence and lead and guide and direct every decision. And so this text is saying quite literally, have no other gods before me. If you have a God before me, if you put someone else in the position of God of your life, if you submit to an idol, if you worship the created, then realize that there will be punishment. To not be faithful to God is to worship something other than God. So here we are at a super fun impasse, right? We can't muster up the ability to be faithful and we're bent towards being unfaithful. So are we doomed? Like are we just left to our own vices where we say, listen, we can't do it. There are often times we are unfaithful and we are unfaithful to God and so what happens? Verses 32 through 34 say this, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, that's when you came to relationship with Christ, for those of you that have crossed that line of faith. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. (laughs) Listen, what the author is masterfully saying is that the truth resets our perspective. These Hebrew Christians, the original readers, they lost possessions. Some of them were imprisoned themselves for their faith, for what they believed. And the author is saying, remember the moment in which you crossed the line of faith and the, and the load that was lifted off of you, the good news of the reality that you didn't have to bear the burden of your own sins, that God himself had come and paid the penalty for what it is that you deserve. Do you remember that moment where your heart came alive, where the, the gospel just all of a sudden transformed the affections of your heart? The author is saying, remember that moment. Because from that moment, at some point, you started to allow the affections of your heart to be drawn towards the created. You lost perspective. You elevated other things. You began to worship self, other people, jobs, possession, relationships. I just need to be loved. I mean, I deserve to be loved, don't I? All of these things that cloud our perspective and the author is saying, listen, This isn't about you mustering it up. It's about remembering the truth. How in the world did the the Hebrews endure everything they did? They set the truth of the gospel, the better possession, which is enduring, which is eternal, at the forefronts of their minds. That's the answer. The answer is to reset your heart and mind by putting the truth of the gospel back in front and say, what is it that really, really matters here? I had a professor in college say, you know what? When you're trying to decide what it is that really matters, 
Think about what will matter 100 years from now. That's pretty tough. There's not much that you get wrapped up about that are going to matter in 100 years. Except maybe your eternity. 100 years from now, that car will be rusted out. Those people that you're trying to, to, to win the affection of or the approval of so hard, they'll, they'll be gone. The stuff that you worked so hard to earn, it'll be rusted. Someone else will be living in that home. You name it, the list goes on. A hundred years from now, it's all gone. What matters? The only thing that matters is eternity. Living that way. The better possession, which is enduring and eternal. You see, any struggle is able to be viewed for the better. Not because we like it, but because our faith is in Jesus Christ. And his death and resurrection for us. That assurance gives us confidence that he's at work redeeming our circumstances. Redeeming them. So in the midst of our circumstances, instead of pitching a fit and saying, listen, I want to I be concerned about myself in the midst of this pain, instead resting in the reality that God is in control. And that although we don't like it, he's at work redeeming it. Verse 35 says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Don't throw away your confidence. Listen, did you hear that? Our circumstances don't need to dictate our faithfulness because our confidence is in God's faithfulness. And that transforms us. You see, if God is faithful and we rest and we're assured in his faithfulness, It gives us confidence. And in the moments that our confidence wanes, we're in the midst of a community of believers that speak truth to us and say, wait a second, let's realign your heart and mind because we're doing life together with God in the center. Not part of our lives, not a section of our lives, not one sliver of all the other diversified parts of our life. We also have a church slice. No, God is in the center of our lives informing every other quadrant of our lives. Listen to this truth. Verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I love that some of the heaviest, most sobering text in Hebrews for sure ends with a statement of assurance and confidence that says we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Because we can decide to draw near to Christ in all circumstances and every situation. We have the ability to say, okay, I've worshipped this long enough. I've tried it myself long enough. God, will you come and inform this situation? Will you be the center of our marriage today? Listen, I've messed up so much in the past that it's hard to even try to justify or come to grips with. Let's just start today. God, would you be the center of my relationship with my parents? 
Will you be the center of my dating relationship? Will you be present as I make decisions for my business? As I make decisions on how to allocate funds and and what to do and where to go and where to be present? Lord, would you allow me to be an influencer in the sphere of life that you've placed me in? We say every week that the text requires something from us. And the question I want you to leave this morning asking is this. How will I keep the truth in front of me this week? How will I keep the truth in front of me this week? For some of you this morning, that application requires you to get to a place of surrender. Maybe you haven't crossed that line of salvation. And so I want to encourage you this morning that maybe your application is to draw near. To begin with truth saturating and reorienting your life. And so maybe for you, it means asking Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. To say, listen, God, I've been the Lord of my own life for long enough, and it's not getting me much of anywhere. Would you forgive me of my sins? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. You can pray that in the quietness of your seat this morning. Cross the line of faith, and I'd love to talk to you more if that's a decision you've made. For others of us in this room, Maybe it means writing the truth down somewhere. Maybe we were settling for a lie and we need to write the truth out. And maybe you don't even know what the truth is because you're so bought into the lie. Well, here's the great news. We're in a community of truth tellers. And so pull someone aside and say, hey, listen, this is what I'm thinking. Is that true? If not, what's the truth? And allow someone to speak truth into you. If you say, listen, I don't even know where to begin in the midst of the journey of identifying truth, that's part of the reasons why we have circles. Sign up for one. Connect in, in, a, family, in, a, uh, in a household to be able to sit in a circle and say, listen, um, I didn't know what to do with the application because I'm not sure the lies I'm believing. And allow a community of believers to speak truth into your life. Maybe it means reflecting on it, just finding solitude. You know how to find truth. You're just not creating margin in your life to do it. So maybe it means creating a scheduled appointment in your calendar so you will not violate it (laughs) to say, okay, I've got an hour here. I've got 20 minutes here, whatever it might be, five minutes. Maybe keeping the truth in front of you means spending time in prayer and allowing God to, to reset your heart and mind. Maybe it means just putting your feet on the floor first thing in the morning and saying, God, help me to pursue you in all that I do. Renew my heart and mind. Allow the truth of the gospel to inform my decisions. Not my will, but yours. For others of you, maybe it means bringing the truth to someone else you see believing a lie. Being a truth teller. I don't know. I don't pretend to know, but I know that the text requires something of us all. One of the ways that we're going to, to reset our heart and mind this week together corporately is to take communion. We don't um, take communion often through kind of religious obligation or mindless rote activity. Not that others do. I'm just saying that we in, intend not to do that intentionally and that we do it for the purpose of remembrance as a response to the word that's being spoken. And so this morning... We're going to provide um, opportunity during one of the songs. You'll be led to do that. Meredith will make it clear as to when to do that. We want to provide opportunity if part of your response is to allow the truth of the gospel
to reset your heart and mind through communion, to remember the sacrifice that Christ made, and to just say, okay, I want you to reset my heart and mind, Lord. Live for myself enough. We're going to, at a certain time, release you, and you can make your way over. There'll be somebody to uh, help you um, take the emblems out, and uh, you can partake communion as an individual if you'd like, or as a family, if you'd like to go over there as a family, if you're here with a family, um, or you can do it alone, however you'd like to do that during that song. There'll be more to come um, with direction on that. I'd like you just to, to bow your heads, if you will, this morning as we consider what the application may be. As your heads are bowed, um, you can you know, leave your eyes open if you're going to be distracted or uh, confused as the, the worship team comes up. But as they make their way up, I want to ask you just to reflect on what it is that the Lord's asking you to do. I want you to consider what it looks like to place the truth in front of you this week. I'm going to pray a prayer over us before we go into a response through song. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. I pray that your spirit would convict us. They would convict, the, the Lord, that we would be convicted of the sin areas of our lives. That we would be aware of the places that we've placed ourselves, our desires, the desires of others, the desires of this world, that we've elevated them to something that we literally worship. We give our money to it. We give our time to it. We give our talent to it. We literally worship it. Lord, I pray that we would have an awareness that's from you. Lord, that it wouldn't be um, condemnation. That we wouldn't be crushed by the reality of our sinfulness, but instead we would realize the brokenness of our situation so that in that moment, we can fully be aware of the grace you extend. That we can acknowledge the hope and the peace and the assurance and the confidence that we can have as children of the living God. Not because of our own ability or our own strength, but because of the grace that you extend in the midst of our brokenness. That we would walk in the truth of the gospel. That it would reset our hearts and minds daily, Lord. That we would be free to be people of love and grace and mercy and peace because we are aware fully of the grace, love, mercy, and peace that you extend towards us. God, that we would be people that are faithful to you because you are faithful to us. And our strength is in you and you alone.